Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is for us to be able to stand in your presence and recognize that you are God. To be able to come into a time of worship together, what a blessing it is that we live in a country where we can do this. And Lord, we just want to pause for a moment and recognize your provision. and The joy that we can have because we recognize that our citizenship is in your kingdom. Lord God, I just, I just desire that our country, that the families, that the people of our country would come to recognize you as Lord. We need a wave of change, a wave of revival in our country, Lord. We need more and more of you in the United States of America and in the world. God, I just pray that you would help us to do our part in this area for you. Lord, I look at this list of people who are going through some stuff and I'm just, I'm just starting with a recognition that you are God and you know all of these requests that we have far better than we do. And yet you still ask us to pray. And that's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a riddle, Lord. And yet, yet maybe it's not. You, you want us to be reminded of those around us who need your healing touch. As we act as your hands and feet. So God, we pray for these folks around us. We pray for Dave, that his back would be healed. We pray for Andy, Bogey, as he's starting chemo, Lord. I pray for healing, that these tumors would go away and things would be made well. God, we're thankful for the Christmas season that we've just gone through. We're thankful for family, for opportunities to get together. God, we're thankful for all that you've given us. Lord, as we look now towards a new year, we pray that you would be in every moment. We pray for our leaders, our political leaders. Lord, we pray for the doctors and the epidemiologists, the virologists who are, are working diligently, Lord, to protect our population and the population of the world. Lord, give them wisdom. Help our political leaders in all branches of government to have wisdom that comes from you. May they May they bend their knee to you and recognize that you are God and that their understanding and ability to lead well comes from you, from nowhere else. Lord, we are in a battle. We pray that you would equip us for the battles that are ahead. We know that you've already won the war, but we're still fighting the battles, Lord, and we only fight with the power you give us. Strengthen us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for being here. I, I sometimes think that this is the hardest Sunday to get to church, especially when Christmas was just two days ago. I can tell you this, it's one of the hardest Sundays for me to get a sermon ready. I enjoy feasting and watching football as much as the next person. Not quite as much singing as I expected, at least the kids expected of me on Christmas. Although with my ukulele, I did sing more than I thought I was going to. So, there was some singing, there was plenty of feasting. I may have shortened my life by the amount of saturated fat I took in during the Christmas season. Yes. So, I'm just thankful you're here. I'm thankful that we're able to be together and to be reminded of God in our lives this morning. So, Happy New Year. This is the last sermon that I get to officially speak to you as pastor in an official Sunday service before 2021. So, this is my last sermon of 2020. And I, I hope you will open your heart to the word of the Lord this morning. It's always dangerous to have the last Sunday of the year because you're just going to get another stupid New Year's resolution sermon. I hope that this won't be just another stupid one of those. I think God's got something more for us. Well, would you join me in praying as we open up God's Word? Heavenly Father, as we do open up your Word this morning, it is with a recognition that we're not smart enough to understand what you have for us in our own strength. With our own reason and logic, it's not enough. I mean, those things are good, but they're not enough. We need you, Holy Spirit to speak directly into our hearts and minds so that we might have the strength to go forward with your word and live. So God, speak to us now. Amen. Well, would you open up to the book of Luke? Today we are returning to the book of Luke, and we've been walking together in Luke, learning and listening to Jesus throughout 2020. I don't, you probably don't remember this, but that's okay. Do you know my, my sermon on Luke chapter 1, verse 1 was January 12th? I don't know if that's good or bad. It's probably, some of you are probably like, well, it's felt like longer than that. No, you're not. You're not like that. How, when the word of the Lord goes out, it does not return void. And how much... I've said this a couple times throughout 2020 and through the challenges that we have faced together. I've said this a couple times. What better year would there be than to just soak in the words of Jesus? I hope that that has been your experience as we've gone through Luke. This is sermon number 29 in Luke, and we are in chapter 11. Again, I'm not sure that that's good, bad, or otherwise, except to say... There's something that has been good for me to soak, and I hope for you, to soak in the words and the story of the good news of Jesus Christ throughout 2020. We, sometimes we, we, we'd have a message on this or that here and there, but then we come back to Jesus. We come back to, to Luke. I think that that's meaningful. I hope it's been meaningful for you. And so as I thought about, okay, do I do a typical New Year's resolution sermon? And the answer was no. We're going to end 2020 in Luke. 
Even though this particular passage, I'm not sure. When I first looked at it, I thought, how is this ever going to fit in a year-end sermon? And then God began to speak to me as your pastor. So here we go. Luke chapter 11. I'm going to read the entire section. It is a little bit longer section this morning, but I want to read the whole thing and then we're going to break it down piece by piece because I think there's so much here to encourage us for the coming year. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon. Well, that's a good way to start a sermon, isn't it? Just saying. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drove out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, This is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But when they are bad, your body is also, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted and when the light, and as when the light of a lamp shines on you. All right, that was a lot of scripture. I don't usually take a piece of scripture this long, but as I'm going to show you, this is all tied together in one thought of Jesus. And so we've got to do it together. So here we go. 
There's a lot here. And there's a lot of strange stuff here. We're going to give a try at this. And I think in some kind of amazing way, somehow God has brought a New Year's sermon out of a passage such as this. Well, this passage is difficult. I don't know if you were like paying close attention to what was going on there, but if you were and you have been trained to ask questions of the text as you read, my guess is that you didn't get even the question registered in your mind before the text moved on and you had to ask another question. This is a difficult passage of Scripture. I mean, I guess the question is, when's the last time you encountered a demon? Or someone that had a demon removed from them? Did that happen at, around the dinner table at Christmas Eve? Well, maybe. I mean, it's possible that you had an experience like that at Christmas or Christmas Eve. But, I mean, realistically, this doesn't happen very often to us. And, you know, as we have been working our way carefully through the book of Luke, all through 2020, we know that Jesus most certainly did encounter demons in his ministry on earth. And when he did, he exercised them. This creates something that is uncomfortable for us. You ready for this? Jesus was an exorcist. This is uncomfortable because we are much more comfortable thinking about Jesus as a newborn baby in a manger or a loving teacher who encourages children to come to him or a man who forgives people's sin and leads them to God. Or we're even more comfortable thinking about Jesus as a man of sorrows who accepts our punishment. Or the Son of God. Or someone who rises from the dead. We're comfortable with those categorizations of Jesus, right? I mean, those are, those are okay. We, we like those. We wear jewelry with those things. Anybody got a piece of jewelry that shows Jesus as an exorcist? Think about that. Why do we have jewelry for every other version or role, I should say not version, but role of Jesus? We don't have a lot of Jesus' exercised jewelry on our ears. I don't even know what that would look like. I, that might be cool. Maybe there's a new niche market here. Maybe not. All these roles that Jesus is, I mean, he is all of those things. We're so comfortable with those roles but we are just really uncomfortable with the role of Jesus as an exorcist. I mean, we don't really know what to do with Jesus as an exorcist. Demons and exorcism have, well, they're part of our culture. I'm not talking about Christian culture. Demons and exorcism have become part of American culture. And guess who's shaping that dialogue? Hollywood. Hollywood shapes what we know about demons and exorcism, not the Bible, not Jesus. We don't think about Jesus as an exorcist, but if I say the word exorcist, you're not thinking about the Bible, you're thinking about a movie. Aren't you? Don't, don't act like you're not. You've seen the movie, she barfs pea soup everywhere, it's crazy. You know what I'm talking about. In fact, right now I said that one little thing and that image of that movie scene has come in your mind, would be my guess. A few of you, maybe not, 
But most of you, that's, when I say puke pea soup, you know I'm talking about the exorcist. You know that. Because our understanding of exorcism and demons, it comes from Hollywood, not from the Bible. Interesting. So we have this very strange moment in which a group of people who are not Christians, by and large, uh, newsflash, by and large, most of the people in Hollywood who are making their movies have no respect for Jesus Christ. Whoa, shocker, right? Shocker. And yet, those are the people that are defining our thought patterns for demons and exorcism. Let that sink in for a second. Why are we doing that? It's actually totally bonkers. And you guys are church people. And when I said the pea soup thing, you guys were all like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Imagine, Imagine what people that are not in church, what is what is their definition of demonic possession and exorcism? Strange. Just let it sink in. In fact, when I was in youth ministry for 10 years, we had these little times, when we call them bus questions, when I'd let people come and, and just, students could ask anything they want. And we still do this. And Eric, you've been a part of that. And Mike and Dave. And you guys have seen that happen. And, and Dalton, you've experienced that. You've been there. You remember some of the awesome bus question times we've had. Almost, not every time, but almost every time, if we opened up bus questions for long enough, and Autumn, you were part of this too, if we did that long enough, somebody would ask a question about demons or ghosts. And it was so strange because the foundation of knowledge that they would start with, like to even ask the question, did not come from this. The foundation of knowledge that they would start with when asking a question about demons always came from Hollywood. Always. Like of every question that... And so every time that I would come back, every time I would answer their question, I would always simply say, let's start with the Bible. Right? Let's not start with the exorcist. Let's not start with, you name the movie. And there is so much garbage on Netflix and Amazon Prime regarding like the demonic and what, and, and that. It's like a never-ending list of garbage. You guys know what I'm talking about. Because late at night, you've scrolled through those. And you're like, wow, that's some really dark stuff. And our teenagers are watching that stuff. It's where they're getting their knowledge of this stuff. There's a better source. Like, one that is actually true, we could be referencing. Okay, and this is where the New Year's resolution sermon comes in. You ready for this? I'm going to have five challenges for you that I'm pulling out of this passage. Okay, here's challenge number one. So if you're the kind of person that writes stuff down, here's challenge number one. I challenge you in 2021 to start with the Bible. Whoa. Now just let this sink in for a second. Because I want want you to think about 2020 and how many times in 2020 we have started with everything except the Bible. Just think about it. Think about the pandemic. I'm not going to go into this long. Just think about it. Has your thoughts about the pandemic started with the Bible or has it started with something else? 
I'm not, I, I've had personal conversations with almost every one of you in here about this, right? Our knowledge as Christians starts here about stuff. So my challenge to you is start there. Start there. If, if this seems like a little bit of a foreign concept for you, then this challenge is one that you need. Relationships, okay? How do you do relationships? Start with the Bible, okay? Politics. How do we deal with politics in 2021? Start with the Bible. The pandemic. Start with the Bible. Demons. Start with the Bible. You see, this little phrase, start with the Bible, it works for everything you might be considering. And if you think, well, I don't know the Bible well enough to start there. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Time to get in the Bible. Right? I mean, does the Bible have a specific answer for every possible question you will ask? Of course not. It's not an infinite book. But will the Bible be a starting place, a foundation from which every question will be rested upon? Yes. Every question can start here and be founded upon here. And then we can pull knowledge and information from lots of other places that will be helpful to understanding it, but this is the starting place. So I challenge you, start with the Bible in 2021. All right, back to our passage. Look at Luke 11, verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. Now, I want you to notice something. and This is kind of a big deal, okay? Notice how matter-of-fact it is that Jesus is doing this, okay? Luke is, it's, it's like Luke is saying, well, there Jesus goes again, you know? Oh, there, he's casting another demon out. It's not like it was big news. You see that? It just was, this is what Jesus does. Casting a demon out. I, th I think it, it's the matter of factness that makes this passage seem distant to us. After all, when was the last time you cast a demon out of somebody? Anybody? Anybody? As a pastor, unfortunately, I have had a little bit closer brushes with this stuff than some people have had. But it just doesn't happen very often. I mean, the exorcism like Jesus had in this passage just doesn't happen very often. I've run into the demonic. Pastor Mark has run into the demonic in his ministry. It's there. It's real. But it's, it just seems like very distant, distant to us because even, even though pastors run into this, and so do you sometimes, Jesus just did this daily. I mean, it was like he was casting demons out all the time. So much so that it was just matter of fact. That makes it seem very distant to us. In fact, I very much wish that I would have been there to see that. Don't you? Wouldn't you have liked to have seen Jesus cast a demon out of somebody? I mean, maybe you've never asked that question before, but I have, and my answer is, Yes! I would have found that to be incredibly interesting. I would love to have seen Jesus cast a demon out of somebody. Not because I've got some morbid curiosity, but because I want to see God work that way. I just, I just think that would be fantastic. 
I would be curious. I mean, it's not wrong to be curious about the things of God in that way. I would like to see that. And you know, moreover, it, there's a, this story has a parallel in Luke. There's a parallel in Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 22, Matthew says that this guy was both mute and blind. And then Jesus cast the demon out. The guy speaks and his vision is restored. I mean, this is so matter of fact in Luke that Luke doesn't even bother to include the blind part because Jesus does it so much. I just think that's amazing. When's the last time somebody, one of you healed someone who was blind? I have not had that opportunity. I would love it if God wants to work through me in that way. I will pray that prayer. But it hasn't happened. Some Blindness being healed has not happened to me. I would like to see that. But what's so amazing about Luke is, and this is the point I'm getting at, he doesn't even mention it. Like all he talks about is the mute part. Why does that matter? Well, it's really amazing that this passage, it's that, there's an actual act of the demon being cast out, okay? There's an act of the guy who is mute speaking, and yet, see this right here? That's all the details we get about what actually happened. So here's the thing that's, that gives distance for us. What I would like to know in this story is all of the particulars of that. Wouldn't you like to know that? How did he do it? What exactly did Jesus say? Is that a phrase I can repeat if I need to cast a demon out? I would like to know that. Because I have encountered this stuff, and I'm like, I wish Jesus would have like given us a phrase. I wish there was like a little book we could have that would like tell us how to do this. And of course, you're thinking about the pea soup again, because the Catholic priest has an exorcist book, right? I I've thought to myself, I would like to have a book like that, right? And I would like it to be right there. I would like Jesus to tell me exactly how to do this right there. But he doesn't. In fact, the actual act of the demon being exercised is like the smallest detail of this story. And that frustrates me because that's what I want the biggest detail to be. Then the whole rest of this passage that is long, it's about boring stuff. It's like they're having a theological debate about this. I don't care about that. I want to know how he kicked the demon out. Well, it makes you think. Maybe we're focused on the wrong thing too. Why are we so curious about all things demonic? Maybe we're not supposed to be. Maybe we're actually supposed to be focused on what comes next. Yes. Yes. Look at verse 15. But some of them said, so now remember, they just saw a demon exercised, right? They just saw a guy who's mute speak. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Okay, I want you to notice something very important here. I just mentioned that I would have really liked to have seen this miracle personally. Well, I want you to try to do this. I ask you to do this sometime. I want you to use your imagination, okay? I need you to imagine that you are in the crowd, okay? Use your imagination. Imagine that you are part of this crowd that has been following Jesus. Are you there? 
Are Are you imagining yourself with sandals on? With dust? Are you imagining yourself in the crowd that is pressing in around Jesus? Imagine that a person who has been blind and unable to speak for a long time approaches Jesus. But wait. If you're part of the crowd, here's what you need to imagine. It's somebody you know. Somebody you know that has been unable to speak or see for a long time. Somebody you personally know is there. So this isn't just a story that happened to somebody else. It's somebody you know. You got that in your head? And then with your own eyes, you watch Jesus cast the demon out of the person that you know. And with your own eyes, you watch that person who hasn't spoken in who knows how long, who hasn't been able to see in who knows how long, you watch with your own eyes as they speak and see. Now, you got that in your head? That person you know, and if you know someone that has been suffering with another disease, think that, replace that person, someone you know. Like, that's the thing that's amazing about the story that we skip so easily. It's, it's always just somebody else. Somebody we don't know. But if that was you, if that was you there and you knew the person that, that had been healed, think about how that changes the story. Now it's not just a story. And now the question I want to ask you, is there any possibility that what you just saw was fake? No. Because you know the person that was healed. Do you see that? You know they weren't faking it because you have lived with them for years. This isn't just someone saying, well, you know, I heard about this. This is you in the crowd seeing someone you know healed and you know they weren't faking it beforehand. Do you see the difference here? It can't be fake. You see, we we watch America's Got Talent and we see those magic tricks and we're like, oh, that was amazing. How did he do that? The card trick, blah, blah, blah. And he knew and, you know, there was an arrow and he shot shot the card through the air and it was the right, all this kind of stuff. And then, Two years later, we go on YouTube and we watch how they did the magic trick. And then we're like, well, that's stupid. We were just fooled, right? That was just a trick. And you know what we do? We become pessimistic about all magic tricks. And then we start becoming pessimistic about all magic tricks. Don't we? And so we start looking at magic tricks. And thinking, a story like this, was that guy really mute? Was that guy really blind? Probably not. Hmm. But look again at that verse. The people, and this is important, the people in the crowd did not question if the miracle was real. They did not question if they had just experienced something supernatural. No. There was no question about that. Instead, 
They questioned if the power that they had experienced was from God or from Satan. Now, this is a big deal. You see, there are only two options for the gathered crowd. See, we read this story with 2,000 years away. We don't usually read this story like we're one of the crowd members. You see that? But I'm trying to get you to imagine this. For the crowd, there was only two options. Jesus' power either came from God or the power came from Satan. Now, this is an important point because we are so far away from this story. Those 2,000 years that have happened between that, the story and us, those 2,000 years have created a third option that does not exist in the text. Can you guess what the third option is? The third option is that Jesus doesn't have supernatural power at all. That's the third option. So for modern readers of the Bible, many people assume that the third option is a real possibility. In other words, they allow themselves to think that Jesus was just fooling the crowd. Like doing a magic trick. Like a super old school version of America's Got Talent. But look again at the verse. There is no third option for the crowd. The third option that we assume and we bring into the text does not exist in the text. This is, this is more important than you realize. If you had been there and seen with your own eyes and knew the guy that had been healed, you would know there's no third option. Jesus has power. The only question is, is it from God or Satan? There is no, maybe it's a trick. That is important. There's no question about Jesus' power. None. The enemies of Jesus throughout the New Testament, think about this. The enemies of Jesus throughout the New Testament, they do not even try to say that Jesus did not have supernatural power. That's never the argument of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They never argue, well, Jesus is just using tricks. Think about that. Just let that sink in because you, you've likely never thought about that before. They never make the argument that Jesus did not have power. The argument they make is, was his power legitimate? Was it from God or was it from Satan? That's such a big deal. It's so big that I've got a challenge for you. Challenge number two. Challenge number two for 2021. I challenge you to live your life with a constant recognition, recognition of Jesus' power. What if you lived every day recognizing that there is no option three? What if you lived your life every day knowing that Jesus had power? That there was never a question about whether Jesus is real or whether Jesus is just one religion among many religions. What, what if that is not an option? Because it's not. That option that you think is real, it's not. The crowd that was there 
did not even make an argument to that effect. There was no question about Jesus' power. Can you live 2021 like that? Can you live an entire year with a recognition that there is no question of Jesus' power? Do you have a big decision to make? Start your decision, recognizing that Jesus has supernatural power. Are you faced with a situation that seems out of control, like there's no hope? Start thinking about that situation with a recognition that Jesus has supernatural power. Live your life, every moment of your life, with a constant remembering of Jesus' power. That's my second challenge. And now I want you to notice in this one verse that Jesus is challenged by two things. By, but some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. And then the next verse, do you have the next verse there? No. Well, let's look then. So you've got 17 is the next one. So look at 16, 11, 16. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself. Oh, one before that. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. And then verse 16, others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. So Jesus is challenged with two things. Is your power from Beelzebub? And the second thing is, if your power is from God, show us a sign. And so now Jesus is going to answer those two questions. So look at verse 15. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he's driving out demons. All right? And then 17, Jesus answers them. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So now look again at verse 17. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. Now, here we've encountered one of those passages that people like to pull out of context. People like to grab this passage about a house divided against itself, and they like to use it to prove all kinds of things. So they say, they pull this passage out and they say things like, this is why the church needs to stay unified, or this is why this business needs to stay unified, or this is why our country needs to stay unified. Now those all may be good things, but that's not what Jesus is really getting at in the context of this passage. Remember, Jesus is answering a challenge to the authority of the source of his supernatural power. In this section, Jesus makes two points, okay? First, it just doesn't make sense for Satan to use his power to defeat himself. This would be like an army targeting its own troops on purpose. Now, we've all heard of incidences of friendly fire, right? An army targeting its troops accidentally. But Jesus' point is specifically that that is not what's happening. Friendly fire is not what Jesus is doing. He is directly challenging the power of Satan. And he's defeating Satan in his exorcisms. Jesus is making a, a profound point. In all of his teaching, in all that he's doing, the point is, is really simple. 
Who is in charge? Is Satan in charge or is God in charge? This is a kingdom question. Are we stuck in the kingdom of Satan or is Jesus freeing us into a new kingdom? God's kingdom. Jesus is proclaiming loudly that we are free in God's kingdom. Both kingdoms have power. But Jesus' entire point is that the kingdom of God has greater power. A power that he demonstrated in his exorcisms. A power to defeat the kingdom of Satan. And now the second point that Jesus makes in verse 19 and 20 is a little bit trickier. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Okay, now this is one of those times when scholars debate what's actually going on here. Was Jesus, who are these other exorcists? Well, they could be a couple different folks. They could be Jewish exorcists, which we know do exist at the time of Jesus. They could be disciples of John the Baptist. They could be even Jesus' own disciples who were casting out demons. We're not entirely sure who Jesus was talking about. But these specifics don't actually matter all that much because the point Jesus is making is that the argument His power does not come from Satan. It doesn't hold water, but why doesn't it? Well, because if you make that argument about Jesus, you have to make the same argument about everybody else who's exercising demons. Now, this is the tricky part. You see, the Pharisees were the ones challenging Jesus here, and the Pharisees at the time of Jesus also claimed to have the ability to exercise demons. So Jesus is saying, if you're going to say, I'm working with the power of Satan against Satan, then so are your exorcists. You want to make that claim? And let's just widen this out a bit. You also have to make the claim that every miraculous thing that happens is probably the power of Satan. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's calling their bluff. They're saying, well, you must abuse the power of Satan because what you did is supernatural. So Jesus is saying, well, if you're going to make that claim, then everything that's supernatural must be from the power of Satan. You see, the Pharisees can't possibly agree with that. So Jesus is saying, not only does a kingdom divided against itself not stand, this isn't friendly fire, I'm I'm intentionally going against Satan, but also if you're going to make that claim about me, you've got to make that claim about everybody, that there's nothing that isn't the power of Satan. So, for us, this seems really strange because there's not a lot of question mark for us about Jesus working in the power of Satan. So we're like, how does this fit in? Well, it does fit in, though. There's there's an amazing recognition that Jesus has the power of God to defeat the army of Satan. And, And now Jesus, he explains more fully in verses 21 through 23. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, it's a parable, it's a short parable, but Jesus makes a simple point. Satan is like a strong man defending his house. He has power, and he has resources and armor at his disposal to defend his kingdom. But Jesus is making the point. I'm stronger. I'm stronger. And then... It's amazing because Jesus says, 
And when the stronger man comes in and disarms the strong man, all of the possessions of the strong man are distributed as spoils of war. Again, this is just something kind of amazing. Do you understand what this means? It means that the the resources of Satan, when Christ defeats them, are distributed to us as spoils of war. I, I bet you've never considered that before. What are the resources of Satan? Well, he controls the world, and when Jesus defeats him, we are given those spoils. This is a good thing. I would make an argument that the United States of America is one of those places where the spoils of what Satan had have been distributed to godly people. I think we were founded on that presupposition. This is good. But then you've got to look at the last verse. That one's important. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. This brings me to my third challenge for 2021. I challenge you, pick a side. There's not a lot of gray area in this. In fact, I would say there is zero gray area. You are either on God's side or you are on Satan's side. Those are the two sides. There's no third option. Uh, I'm coming back to this theme again. Did you hear that? There's no third option. You see, today we think that this third option is a real option, that maybe Jesus was just a trickster, right? We've already said this. Maybe Jesus didn't actually have real power. And so we think that if that's the third option, that opens the door up to, Well, if he's just a trickster, then there's a third option, right? Maybe Buddha was right. Maybe Muhammad was right. Maybe the 10 million gods of the Hindu religion are right, right? Because if the third option is that Jesus didn't have real power, then maybe there's real power somewhere else. I need you to notice this. There's no third option. We've invented the third option. The third option that says it's, it's okay to just take Jesus as a kind of nice guy who said some nice stuff but doesn't actually have power. You see that? And see, our country that started well, I think has devolved into the third option. Jesus is an okay guy, but he didn't actually have real power. He didn't actually cast demons out of people. He didn't actually do miracles. I mean, those were tricks. Did the crowd that, this is the keeping stuff in context. Did the crowd that was there think that there was anything happening except supernatural power? It's just supernatural power. And they knew the guy that was healed. And over and over when Jesus heals people, it's people that the locals knew. Do you see that? It wasn't like he was, you know, the the, the current stuff going around our country today you know, the, the faith healers that whack people on the head and people fall over? I mean, it doesn't take a lot of figuring out to know that a whole bunch of those people are just people that were in the audience planted there. I, I, 
Are all of those wrong? Maybe not. But a whole bunch of them are really wrong and they just want your money. It's evil. I'm not afraid to say that. It's evil. Is it possible for the healing of God to happen? Yes. But it's not going to be flamboyant like that, is it? Look at Jesus. He wasn't flamboyant. Hmm. Oh. You've got to pick a side. And there's no middle. If you think you can be on the middle side, the third option, and say, well, maybe Jesus doesn't have the corner on truth. Maybe he's just one way to get to God and there's other ways. Okay, can I suggest something to you? All of you at home, can I suggest this to you? There's no third option. So if you think you're in the third option, well, you've picked a side. It just isn't God's. Those are the two options. So if you think you can just minimize Jesus and say, well, I'm just going to be a follower of something else, you're on the side of Satan. And I'm not saying that to be some crazy preacher. I'm just reading the story of Jesus. I've decided that I will start here. Where are you starting? Verse 24. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places, seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. Once again, this is difficult for us to understand. I mean, he's talking about like demons and where they go and motivations and what in the world's going on here? I mean, is Jesus trying to explain the movements and motivations of demons? Well, some scholars take this approach. And if this is right, then these words of Jesus are a warning against exercising a demon, but then not filling your heart with the truth of Jesus Christ. In this scenario, the human heart may receive a temporary reprieve from demonic torment, but it will actually be worse in the long run because even more demons will return to harass the person if they haven't filled their heart with Jesus in the meantime. I've heard that explanation. I've heard well-meaning Christians say that. That if, if you exercise a demon, you need to make sure that they accept Christ right away or the demons will just come back. Okay? I, I've heard that. But you know what that is? That's a demon exercise manual. That's what that is. That you're trying to figure out a manual for the proper way to do demon exorcism. That's not what's happening here. Jesus is not giving us a manual for demon exorcism. So there's another option. Other scholars are quick to point out that the context of this passage is most certainly not about Jesus making a demon exorcism manual. That's not what this passage is about. It's not what the context is. Instead, the context seems more likely to be about the strong man parable, the one we just read. The question Jesus is asking is really about who is the strong man in your life? Is Satan still the strong man? Or is Jesus? Have you allowed the power of Jesus to enter into your life and to disarm Satan and now allow Jesus to be the strong man? Who's your strong man? That's the question Jesus is asking because here's the deal. If Satan is still the strong man, you might have a temporary victory, but it will be followed by a worse defeat. Now that makes a lot more sense in the context. Do you see that? Jesus is saying, 
you might have temporary movement forward in your life, temporary victory over a demon, but if you don't have Jesus, you're followed up by something worse. Because it's not about the proper way to exercise a demon, it's about who's the strong man in your life. Have you allowed Jesus to kick out the devil? Have you allowed the strong man to exercise his strength? Yes or no? Well, which one of those, which one of those is right? Which scholar is right? We can debate both of that. It's, it's really a fun debate. But the bigger point really is not complicated. You ready for the bigger point? The bigger point that Jesus is making? You ready? Pick a side. There you go. Pick a side. And if you don't pick Jesus, you're going to have harassment by demons. <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds weird to say that. That's what's in here. Yikes! Pick a side. Verse 27. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Well, just real quick. I'm so happy that Luke put this in here because all this talk of demons and exorcism, it's pretty heavy. I'm just really glad that he put this in here. Because think about the implication of this. You ready for this? I'm going to help you understand this by rephrasing what the woman said. You ready? It is possible for you to be more blessed than Mary. Oh, boy. Donna, you doing okay? Am I rattling you just a little bit there? Just a little bit of rattling. Rattling your, your Catholic upbringing, Donna. Jesus replies, because the woman says, blessed is the woman who gave birth to you. So the woman is saying, blessed is Mary. And Jesus said, you can be more blessed than Mary. You guys should be way more excited about that than you are. I think that I've lost you with all the demon exorcism stuff. You can be more blessed than the Virgin Mary. How? He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Challenge number four for 2021. I challenge you to accept God's blessing by hearing and obeying the word of God. By hearing and obeying the word of God, you can have more blessing than Mary, the mother of Jesus. Whoa. Once again, I'm just reading what Jesus said. Blessed rather. It says rather. It doesn't say blessed also. Blessed rather. Now Mary was blessed, but Jesus is saying, you have access to blessing you can't possibly imagine. How do you access that blessing? Hear and obey the Word of God. Well, how do you do this? This isn't that tricky. Um, pretty hard to hear the Word of God and obey the Word of God if you're not reading the Word of God. I mean, I, I know you, you get the Bible on Sunday morning because I try to give it to you. But if you're going six days between Sundays without this, Oh man, are you missing out on a blessing that is so amazing. So, that's my challenge. Accept it. If you hear, if you read the Bible 
every day and obey it, you will be blessed like you can't possibly imagine. I'm not talking about monetary blessing. This isn't a name it and claim it sermon. I'm saying the blessing of God will be upon you. The same blessing of God that was upon Mary, the mother of Jesus. Wow! Are you, did you hear that? I hope you did. All right, we're nearing the end. Here we go. And now Jesus turns to the second objection that the crowd raised. Remember, the first objection was, your power came from Satan. The second objection was, well, if your power did come from God, I want to see a sign. I want to see a sign. Look at verse 29. As the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. As for, for as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. I know you guys are hanging with me. This is the point where if I was in youth ministry, I'd make you stand up and like give back rubs to each other. Because this is, this, is, this is one unit of Scripture we got to get through, okay? So I don't know. If you need to stand up and like do some stretches or something, I don't know what you got to do, but I'll look silly for you. I will do it. So that you stay in this. I will do that. Okay, here we go. What is the sign of Jonah? What is this, what is this referencing, the sign of Jonah? Again, here we go. Scholars do not agree on this. There are some scholars that say that the sign of Jonah, remember Jonah was how many days in the belly of the whale? Right? And so some scholars go, hey, hey, Jesus is talking about his time when he was dead. Right? This is a prophecy, they're saying. That Jesus is giving a prophecy that he's going to be dead for three days and then rise from the grave. That's so cool. It's such a cool prophecy. Except that pesky, pesky thing. Context. See, a lot of people like to grab this right out of Scripture and pull it out of context. Think about the crowd that Jesus is talking to. Remember, you're there. Would the crowd know that Jesus is going to be dead for three days and come back from the dead? No! So this would mean nothing to the crowd that was assembled there. When Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah, they're not going to go, Oh, Jesus is talking about when he's dead for three days and rises from the grave. Do you see that? They're not going to think that. Not at all. And then Jesus, even more, he talks about Jonah, the sign of Jonah and the Ninevites. Well, what do we know about the Ninevites? Jonah went to Nineveh, remember? The, cat, the worst place in the world. He goes to Nineveh, and what was the message? That, the, the message that Jonah gave to the Ninevites? It's one word. Repent! That's the word. So when Jesus says, and think about this. Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign. You're a crooked generation. A sign's not going to help you. If, if, and then Jesus says, well, accept the sign of Jonah. That'll help you. No! That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying the only word you need to hear is repent. That's the sign of Jonah. Not some cryptic prophecy about Jesus being dead for three days. Okay, now, if, if, I, if I just rattled your feathers and you've always thought that the sign of Jonah was the three-day thing, I get it. Maybe it is that. Maybe, maybe it's got a double meaning, okay? 
But in context, the crowd that was there, when they heard Jesus talk about the sign of Jonah, what they heard was, repent. And think about what Jesus just said. Pick a side. You're either with me or you're with Satan. Now you tell me which sign of Jonah makes more sense in that context. Right? Context, context, context. It matters. I might have convinced you on that one. Not sure I got you on the other one. And now the final part of Jesus' answer. Verses 33 through 36. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden, or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on its stand, so that those who come may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it is dark, it will be completely lighted, as when the light of a lamp shines on you. Now think about the whole passage we've looked at today, okay? This entire section is about a challenge that people have raised to the source of Jesus' power. Do you see that? Once again, this little passage about the light has been pulled out of context, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? Have you ever thought that this is about people saying that Jesus' power is from Satan? <laughs> I bet that's never crossed your mind when you sang that song. But that's the context of this passage. So, Jesus' power source has been challenged, and Jesus has responded by saying that everybody needs to pick a side. You either choose God or you choose Satan. And the side you choose will be evident by what you allow into your eyes. The side that you have chosen will be evident by what you allow in your eyes. Oh, that's a little bit edgier than the little lamp song. What you allow in your eyes will tell you which side you are on. You have a choice and your choice matters. You have a choice and your choice matters. Did you hear that? I'm going to say that three times. You have a choice about which side you're going to be on. You have a choice about what you allow to come into your eyes. Your soul might be burning at this moment because you know I've hit on something that you need to deal with. There is not a choice between three alternatives. It's only two. You're either with God or you're with Satan. That's the two. Ugh. And this is where it gets tricky. Because in our American culture, 
Christianity has become a private choice. Religion has become a private thing. You know, you believe what you want to in your own time, but don't bring that out, right? Don't, don't, don't be one of those people, right, that wears Jesus on your sleeve. According to Jesus, you can't have that option. There is no secret Christian. There is no Christian that somehow is a Christian in private, but in public is not. There is no Christian that can just be neutral. It doesn't work that way. There's not a third option of neutrality. You either are or you aren't. But because this has become a a personal, private choice, in our culture, I think that Christianity has become ridiculously distorted. That we think we're supposed to just act like it's a, a private choice that shouldn't affect other areas of our life. Like somehow our Christian, our Christian us, is like just one compartment that we like open up on a Sunday, but then on like every other day, we're, we're working in the other parts of us. Like somehow we've got these compartmentalizations And the compartment that is, you know, open on Monday or maybe the compartment that's open very late at night is somehow different than the compartment that is here right now. No. Challenge number five. I challenge you to let your light shine in 2021. (laughs) When you pick a side, when you pick Jesus, he has the power to defeat Satan in your life. He's stronger than the strong man. That allows you to be able to live with the light of Jesus shining out everywhere. I want to end with Joshua 24, 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, many years ago, when Karen and I were newly married, my mother-in-law gave this to us. And this hangs on our wall as some of you probably have something like this hanging on your wall. By the way, I'm not saved because this hangs on my wall, right? I have to look at this every day because I have to make a choice every day. I'm not saying you have to go out and spend $20 or $30 and put something on your wall, okay? That's not, that's, we're not, we're not worshiping the picture, okay? But, you know, thank you to my mother-in-law for giving this to us. She's probably watching right now. I appreciate it. She's really good at giving gifts, by the way. Much better than me. Do you have one of these in the wall of your family house? Because this is a question you've got to ask every day. Are you going to pick a side or not? All right, I'm going to end with a review of the five challenges that we've gotten from this passage. 
And I know I blasted you with a ton of information today. Some of you are sitting patiently. Some of you are like, this has been ridiculous. Here they are. Challenge number one. I challenge you to start with the Bible in every area of your life. Challenge number two. I challenge you to live your life with a constant recognition of Jesus' power. Challenge number three. I challenge you to pick a side in 2021. You're either on God's side or you're on Satan's side. There's not a third option. Challenge number four. I challenge you to accept God's blessing by hearing and obeying God's word. Challenge number five. I challenge you to live your life in such a way that your light shines. Because Jesus' power didn't come from the devil. It came from God. And our hope is in him. Thank you, God. Can we possibly, as a church, do those five things? And the answer is yes. It is my prayer, Holy Spirit, that you would enter into this church, enter into every family, enter into every person. And help us to be the people you've called us to be. Recognizing that you are strong. Stronger than Satan. If we will allow you in. We have nothing to fear. Thank you God. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Happy New Year.